recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another very exciting and interesting episode of The Sideshow with Frank Liso and Tenoro. Yeah, for those of you who have seen my name and how it's spelled, it's actually pronounced frankly so, not frankly sucks. Um, Anyhow, our guests tonight are Douglas Millett, formerly an aerospace engineer with NASA. He is currently working on a project of his own where he is designing and building uh, hydroponics labs, uh, fully automated and self-contained, self-powered uh, hydroponics labs, as I understand it. Also with, with us tonight is VTV Neil from vradio.org and v-radio or v-radio.org. Right. Yeah, I keep forgetting to tell him about the hyphen. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> and also on the line with us tonight are Kevin and uh, I forgot what he said. The King for Mayor's real name is. Hey, but in how's it going? My name's Ken. Uh, huh? It's Ken. You can call me Ken. Ken. Okay. Yeah. And and Ken says that he is uh, an AI technician. He's uh, fully aware and cognizant of AI technology. So he felt like he'd like to join in with us tonight in discussing this topic, which is basically our computers and robots and artificial intelligence entities going to take over the world. Some people seem to think so. Others, eh, yeah, no. We kind of look at it and say, okay, that's really just a bunch of Hollywood nonsense. Question. And I agree. Ken, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think that these things will actually ever take over the world? Um, Well, uh, AI at its current stage is very much in its infancy. Uh, we don't really have true artificial intelligence where it's, you know, it's its own entity. Um, what we have today is autonomy, uh, where, you know, we've given these, these, uh, programs or robots or whatever you, you give the, uh, what we, ca- what we're calling AI these days, um, that you give them a set task to perform. And they're going to base the decisions on how best to perform that task off of the available uh, input. Now, uh, because it isn't really a conscious uh, entity at this point, it doesn't have any way uh, to decipher right from wrong. Um, not that that, w- that would necessarily make it any safer or less safer, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all about what task you assign to it. So, like, if you look at, like, uh, military drones or these, you know, robots with uh, M60 machine guns on them, I would say that, yes, in that, you know, particular example, um, artificial intelligence is very dangerous, uh, but not because it wants to take over the world, uh, just because, you know, we've put a very powerful uh, weapon in the hands of, you know, some uh, something who's brain is essentially no smarter than an insect. Well, if I could add something to that, uh, and I would like to because, uh, as many of our listeners might know, I'm a programmer myself, uh, so while I don't deal with what you termed as true AI, I I do deal with AIs uh, uh, 
uh, in a under the limitation of current technologies. Um, but it, you, you came off as a bit of one of those uh, uh, no true Scotsman arguments. To, if I can add a little distinction uh, for the listeners, what makes a true AI uh, is where an artificially intelligent entity, for lack of a better term, is capable of learning, is capable of adding to its own knowledge uh, through its experience. Uh, the example that you used was assigning a task and letting it decide the best way to do that. Uh, we do that with chimpanzees in a lab, but chimps are artificial intelligent because they can learn, uh, which is something that our computers haven't quite in, haven't quite gotten to that point yet. I totally agree with that. But at the same time, it's worth pointing out uh, if you put a chimpanzee, uh, a chimpanzee behind um, a heavy-powered machine gun. They probably won't care what they shoot. It would probably be too, be too much fun shooting it off. <laughs> I've seen the videos of that. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm guessing. I guess that depends on what kind of reward they get for pulling the trigger. Because you know, typically, whenever you're training chimps and and other apes, you're giving them a reward for pressing the right button at the right time. Like Skinner programming. There's also oh. though the uh the the um a rush that they'll get from actually just firing the machine gun and the loud sounds it makes and the effect that it has. So that in it is of itself is its own reward that's in the, the, the monkey's brain. Um, you know, where we don't really program computers uh to have those kind of rewards like in their in their mind. So for example the, the military drone doesn't, you know, get all excited every time it fires its weapons. Um, so there is a difference there. Well, in the example that I was using, uh, um, excitement is the reward for pulling the trigger, you know, watching the flashes and the boom. Um, uh, we we witnessed that among humans, uh, but I could, I could just imagine a chimp being uh, what, what Sapolsky termed um, passively aggressive, when pulling the trigger on a machine gun is that amusing, but yet they still count as AI. Well, I don't know. I don't know. They're not. They're not AI. I'm sorry. Uh, they're. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that one. Uh, they're intelligent. <laughs> one person we haven't heard yet in this conversation is Douglas Millett. And part of the reason that he was invited tonight to be on this show is because. He's an aerospace engineer with NASA, or at least formerly, before NASA recently shut down. Um, or Thank at you, least Mr. Obama. Much that they have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it goes a lot back further than Obama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of people want to blame the Obama administration for a lot of things. And you, honestly, when it comes to politics, you'd have to trace it all the way back. And by all the way back, I mean all the way back, you know, trace it back to England, folks, okay? It didn't start here, and it, but hopefully it ends here. What I, my, what I wanted to kind of touch base on is the way I try to describe it to people. There's active and passive forms of technology. AI, as far as I'm concerned, and, and most AI people I'm sure might agree with this, true AI would be active. It would be actively engaging the environment 
actively making decisions based on whatever memory or programming it's uh, accumulated over time and therefore then make its own decisions based on all the relevant information that it has within its memory. Passive would be a technical system that is fed a bunch of information and it just regurgitates a preset or a pre-established set of conditions that somebody else put in it. In other words, that technical system isn't really making a decision on its own. It's making a decision based on what somebody else programmed it to do, which would be very similar to Watson, the well, computer that uh, did the uh, did the um yeah, the Jeopardy challenge. The Jeopardy challenge. It all it did all it did was look at the question or the answer, run through a large database of information to try and arrive at the most reasonable decision, and by percentages would then pick what it felt would be the most reasonable percentage. It's not like it really uh, – that's getting borderline close to making its own decisions, but if you gave it something off the mark, it wouldn't be able to really put together a quality response. So that's the difference that most lay people need to kind of understand. Well, the, there was something that I, I did pick up watching the uh, uh, the Watson's Jeopardy challenge was that whenever you fed it a question with a blank word in it, uh, then it couldn't answer those nearly as fast as the other champions because you know the other Jeopardy champions because they were accustomed to answering that kind of thing. <laughs> but right. for some for something that's a little closer to home, uh, what you just described is what is something that the rest of us use every day: a Google search. Is that, kind of, is that kind of interface. Right, exactly. It's it's all passive technology. And, and and one of the arguments we get, obviously, from the the Yahoo crowd, as far as I'm concerned, are saying that the RBE, the resource-based economic system, would be governed by computers telling everybody what to do, which is complete crap because the entire system is dominantly run by passive systems that aren't even interconnected. We have boatloads of passive technical systems managing energy right now, energy distribution in the grids of cities. The, we have uh, uh, passive uh, AI, uh, passive AI. Now, we have passive technical systems governing lights and traffic patterns. Yep. Los Angeles has one of the most intricate uh, computer grid systems that help manage traffic flow during different times of day, and it's almost almost completely automated um, for the most part. And it, it analyzes car flow and all those things to help manage the traffic lights as efficiently as possible given the flow in which direction. And so that stuff, it, it happens now. Yet people want to complain and whine and say, oh, no, it's going to tell everybody what to do. No, no actually, it's not going to tell anybody what to do. You're going to have a passive technical system that's going to create a boatload of food, but it's not going to tell you when you can and can't eat. You're going to have a passive right. system that's going to, that's going to uh, help uh, manage um, energy distribution, but it's going to be different in that it's going to be a network. Every building is going to be its own partial energy creator. Instead of a – it's going to be a highly decentralized energy setup. Instead of one nuclear plant or one local facility trying to feed a grid, every building is going to be partially contributory to the grid system. And then all you have to do is put in an advanced algorithm system that can do automatic flow adjustments of energy need based on a building needing peak demand or less than peak demand and feed its excess energies around passively to its surrounding systems. So – the, the the Hollywood nonsense that people want to throw into this is the biggest barrier because Hollywood needs the drama, it needs the conflict to entertain. That's not real life. 
Right. I'll tell you one of my favorite rebuttals to the uh, to the machine takeover argument. I guess is is as good a way to uh, good a name for it as any. Whenever somebody tells me that machines will take over and make decisions for us, uh, my rebuttal is that well, my my thermostat doesn't decide the temperature of my dwelling. Uh, it stays within a, a limit of configurations that I set. And if I'm not happy with uh, the temperature of my dwelling, I can walk over to the wall and reconfigure the damn thing, and it will adjust to fit what I want. May I make a statement about the Hollywood effect as well? Sure. Um, the, it also helps children to understand, to be honest, because I grew up watching Buck Rogers and had a sincere appreciation for the concept of the character Dr. Theopolis that you could just turn to, throw on Twiggy's chest and be like, hey, I've got a question. How can you best help us allocate our resources so that we can manage them properly? That's realistically what this character was. It was just like the idea of what, say, Fresco was trying to set up. Yeah, another thing that I've seen a whole lot recently here in the Lafayette, Louisiana area, they've been setting up a lot of those uh, photo enforcement lights uh, with, where your traffic <laughs> lights are photo enforced, your speed is photo enforced, you know. And and this uses a form of an AI. I mean, it relatively, it quite accurately determines whether a person ran a red light or if they uh, or if they were speeding and uh, a few other different things if they turned uh left at the wrong time you know if their if their light didn't give them the pro uh, proper uh right of way to do so and uh and nobody's complaining well people are complaining about it but they're <laughs> complaining they're complaining that it that they can't get away with the shit that they would normally do if they didn't have that and or a cop sitting on that corner and what what it is they're they're complaining because they're too effective. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, actually, exactly. if I could jump in on that one, <laughs> like because like the the red light, sorry the red light cameras and stuff. The 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 problem is is that a red light camera uh, doesn't have any sort of moral aptitude. Okay, a human being police officer. Can, who's sitting on the corner can say, okay, that person, you know, was making a left turn in order to clear the intersection to not impede traffic, or you know, you know that 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 person who you know ran the light, you know, I, I went, I followed them and I stopped them, and oh, they had somebody who was, you know, had a, a broken leg in the back and they were trying to get him to the hospital, but the the computer cannot make that assessment. You know, so you're going to you're basically guilty until proven innocent in the eyes of the computer. Sure. But uh, what, well, the, there, there's two things there that I could add. One, you're saying that there are conditions that the computer cannot yet account for, uh, which maybe at some point in the future they'll be able to figure that one out. But even if well, the we could actually does, directly. We could directly add the information to it by say maybe having the ability to just speak out, hey, computer, and then have the information get transferred to wherever it needs to go. Uh, uh, there's a robotic computer that pretty much is taking over a car 
that a guy created I saw in Doug Millette's video, um, uh, our technical reality. And yeah, that's what Google's doing. Yeah, so, I mean, it can, like, go around different things and stop at red lights and so on and so forth. So it's not like we can't just feed this information into the given situation. So it's like, oh, computer, I've got a bro this like I've got a broken leg, and I need to get to the hospital right away. And it could actually then program and set up the parameters to send out the information to the red lights so that other people have red lights and you can get to the hospital faster. Right. Sure. What my point is is it's is the danger comes when you implement the technology before it is ready to be implemented. Because we don't have yeah. that. And well, that, we I, do, that I do we, agree with completely. Right. Yeah. We, we do end up with test market areas in a lot of these cases, such as the, the Google cars and, the well, the self-driving cars. I mean, we tend to call it Google cars, but Google didn't start this, folks. Um, when MIT, I was 14 yeah. years old, yeah, MIT started it uh, on the road. Um when I was 14 years old, I was talking with uh, a different uh, aerospace engineer from NASA, uh, and we were working on designing a system extremely similar, if not identical, to what MIT started out with. Google has taken it the next step and introduced something more to the effect of an AI into the system where it doesn't use all of the markers and uh, magnetic strips and uh, uh, and all of the different things that we were uh, working on incorporating into the system and that MIT actually did incorporate into their system. Right, and there's a company in Germany that's also doing the same thing, creating a fully automated car. I mean, it's it's something that a lot of people are going, uh, going into because, uh, you know, humans are boneheads when it comes to driving. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous the nonsense that you see when you have a distracted human being in charge of a 2,500-pound vehicle going 70 miles an hour down the freeway. That is, I mean, you want to talk about being afraid of something. I'm more afraid of that than I am of some damn robot taking over the planet. I'm afraid of all the dumb people. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, you know, who can't who can't even control a basic piece of technology properly. So, I mean, people, those who want to cry foul of using technology to better the living conditions of every person on the planet are the ones that are desperately clinging to archaic traditional notions of the way things, quote-unquote, ought to be done. And then when you factor in sci-fi, entertainment, drama trying to make something uh pique the senses of the audience that just you know of course enhances the bs yeah yeah and i i like your uh your your statement there that be more afraid of the individual you know the person the the human being who uh, has lack of intelligence than uh, than the ai or the robot or whatever it's not entirely dissimilar from an argument that my father made a while back when uh, they were talking about gun control laws. Uh, that was back in the 80s, and we had a indoor gun range. So he was one of those people who got interviewed about all of that stuff. And his argument was, I'm much more afraid of the individual, and I'm quoting him here, I'm much more afraid of the individual who has no practice with a gun 
than the person who actually knows how to hit his target. Because, you know, the person who's had some training with a gun is going to be much more aware of how to handle the gun than the average idiot. Right. Okay, I think Neil has something. Sure. Um, I apologize for having to step out there briefly. Um, in any case, uh, one of the things I think, you know, as you were just pointing out, the, the drama and all that, I am a fiction writer, and one of the things that occurred to me when I was trying to write, it's it's funny, actually, somebody just linked a, like the Zeitgeist game video about this very issue, the AI issue, Which um, is awesome. and how and how boring it would be. Um, when I was trying to figure out ways to write a story, an original story, when we were going to do a Venus Project comic book, uh, all of the things that are normally included in order to keep people's interests are just not there. I mean, I guess you could talk about sex. You know, that'll go on in a resource-based economy. You know, but what else is there? There's not going to be any violence. There's not going to be you know, any other problems. Um, and, and I think, you know, the same thing is true when you talk about these conversations about artificial intelligence. You know, I find these stories interesting. I mean, my favorite TV series of all time, other than Jericho, is Battlestar Galactica. It's wonderful fiction. You know, um, the, the reality of the situation is, though, is, is that um, I find it interesting in the same way that I find, say, watching a TV show you know, that's got demons in it, like Supernatural. I find that entertaining. And it's e equally fictional. You know, and it's it's not to say that it's not possible that artificial intelligences couldn't be misused. But I like the example that Frank gave about, well, I'm more, you know, I'm more worried about stupid people with firearms. Because that's basically what it is. You, you set the parameters in which these artificial intelligences work. Um, and you don't have to install anything more. You know, we're not talking about overly complicated artificial intelligence to run the critical systems that we talk about in a resource-based economy anyway. They don't have to be overly sophisticated. You know, all they have to do is say, oh, okay, uh, time to water the plants. Oh, oh, soil samples are saying we need more water. Water the plants. You know, it, it's it's not something as, you know, ex, you know uh, sophisticated as, you know, an artificial intelligence with a personality and, you know, all that other jazz isn't even required to run most of the systems that we use in day-to-day -day life. Right. A lot of this and, stuff... And, go ahead. Uh, and I want to I add to that because that was perfect because one of the things that, that I try to emphasize to people, you have to look at what would you use AI for? You, there are, you wouldn't use AI to be the farmer. I mean, if we actually had true artificial intelligence... I would be using that technology to go into space and do asteroid mining so that they could almost work on their own and, and still be able to exist in the harsh environment of space where it is tremendously more dangerous for a human but is absolutely no big deal whatsoever to a robot who has the cognitive capability, the artificial intelligence to manage what needs to be done to mine the resources off of an asteroid so that we don't really have to touch the planet anymore for some of the primary minerals that we use on a regular basis. So if we're going to use AI, we're not going to use it to govern the traffic light systems. In fact, well, in the RV, you probably wouldn't need traffic lights anyway because all the automation and self-rectifying uh, self systems that would go in transportation would almost make stoplights kind of pointless. Um, because stoplights are to prevent humans from running into other humans. Radar-equipped GPS-tracked you know, automated car systems aren't exactly going to do that. Um, so how would you use the AI? And as I try to tell people over and over again, the RBE 
for the most part, in fact, almost completely, all of the technical systems are dumb systems. They're not smart systems. And they don't even have to be interconnected because I get people say, well, what about a virus? What if you had this big, what if you did have this nasty psychopath that, that even in this wonderful world where, you know, everything's mostly good. I mean, yeah, you're going to have petty fights, you know, two guys get drunk over some girl and punch each other in the face. Okay, I, I don't really honestly expect that to ever really go away, but we won't have the catastrophic deaths due to negligence and stupidity that we have today. You'll have a couple of drunk idiots punching each other over a girl. They'll go to they'll go to a holding center for a little while, and people are going to go. Really, are you that stupid? Really, uh, you know your quality of life is not affected at all by whether or not you're dating that woman. So shut up and stop being stupid, and then let them go about their merry way. Whereas today, a lot of the jealousy issues are wrapped up in money, and there's stuff like that that goes into it. But that's on the side. Point is. A lot of the technical systems, clean air systems, water, food, transportation, communication, etc., all of the technologies exist right now. They're all passive. They could be holistically integrated together in a smart and you know intelligent way, and boom, we're squared away. But there's nothing dominating or telling humans what to do. Absolutely. Right, and there was uh, there was something else too. The uh, another rebuttal that I sometimes use that uh, uh, that you guys just reminded me of, when somebody says that machines are eventually going to get so smart that they'll take over, you know, all of the machines and the factories and and whatever else we have to yeah. build. And my usual reply is, well, it, it, if an army of robotic forklifts try to take over, I think we can take them. <laughs> Well, yeah, that that is actually an interesting point because we're not developing weapons anyway, so what are they going to do? And I'll, I'll take this to another step further. They're going to slide under us and lift us up. Yeah, well, let's assume right. let's assume we do develop an iRobot or a C-3PO or something to that effect, okay? Let's, let's say we actually do go that far and we get that kind of a, a technology running. If it is artificial intelligence, at, at that point, it's still intelligent. And so you would still be treating it much as if it was a baby growing up. You raise that robot in a crap environment with violence and death and destruction, and you teach it to behave that way, guess what? It's no different than a human. The only difference is now it's a robotic entity with the same baggage and crap that the human race has had for several thousand years. However, if you raise it in an environment, and I am saying raise the robot in an environment that is positive, encouraging, collaborative, nonviolent, you don't do things certain ways, and you don't react this way or that way, and you work together, guess what? The robot's going to behave that way. Why? Because it's intelligent. It might be artificial intelligence, but it's still capable of adaptive learning. So at that point, it's no different than another human being. It might be artificial, but it still can be educated and treated as such, and its behavioral characteristics will fall in line accordingly. Well, that kind of reminds me of the joke, right? There is the standard joke. Uh, what do you call a blonde who dyes her hair brown? Artificially intelligent. <laughs> and if I, um, if I guess guess my question would then be, is what happens then, like how... How do we get them to, quote-unquote, do that mining work on other planets? Because wouldn't there then become a moral question of, are we creating a slave race? 
And that's that's kind of where my concern is, is like if we give these, imbue these creatures with this intelligence, be they bi non-biological entities or, or whatever you want to call them, they you're almost creating a soul when it comes to these if-then-that algorithms. And, and it, it, it if you get it to such a detailed level, could we have some sort of social movement among the robots more um, simply questioning for their own equal rights? Well, the, the questions you're really asking there is, can machines or robots created so human-like that they can suffer. Well, if, not, if you're talking about even, true artificial so. intelligence, I mean, if it, if you truly are intelligent, then yes, there has to, there would be some level of of suffering. I mean, it would have to know, you know, when what's wrong, uh, when something is being done wrong to it, um, and and also, I mean, as an artificial intelligence. It would have its own aspirations, so there is certainly a chance that your mining robot might not want to be a mining robot. It might want to be a scientist, and it might decide that it doesn't want to share its scientific discoveries with you, only with other robots. Uh, you know, I mean, well, it's, see, it's a completely legitimate question. True, but now you're going down. What's what was that robot taught? Was that robot taught to hold, withhold information and only share it with its other fellow robots, or was it taught that humans and robots are considered basically equal at that point? And as far as I'm concerned, if it got to that point, humans and robots would be considered equal at that point, and you would not force a robot to go be an asteroid miner just because it's a robot. It would be a voluntary operation that robots could choose if they're that intelligent to go and do of their own free will of their, of their own uh cognitive resources the they would also they would know that they're the best at it that it's much safer for them to do it than it is for humans to do it and stuff like that just because of our biological restrictions versus their mechanical uh efficiencies or their their uh, capabilities far out would outweigh our own but it would still be their choice because at that point if they're that intelligent then they are human as far as I'm concerned Okay, well now we've taken a high dive off of the leap uh, off the deep end. Um, <laughs> True, we, because we're not anywhere you know, close to that. <laughs> we are, we are, yeah, well, not, the, the whole topic to begin so, uh, with is right. kind of a, a jump in the shark here. <laughs> if I could go ahead and finish this thought, um, we're we're delving into philosophy now, and it raises a, a question of ethics. How ethical is it to? Uh, to program a robot to be able to suffer, to have that ability. I mean, is that even ethical? You know, you've oh, got a machine who can operate and do things, and it's designed for doing things for mankind, and now you're going to teach it to suffer? Well, it's not so much teaching it to suffer. It's would the ability to suffer be uh, an inevitable product whenever you create a machine that is uh, – that is enough like something that's alive. Yeah, at some point the the switch the, the switch might flip and it might just automatically get that. I don't necessarily think it would be something that would be programmed. I think if it was the computer system was smart enough to constantly take in information, adapt and adjust, eventually it would get to the point where it probably develop that on its own. Well, that's actually, you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets brought up in the singularity and 
I went round and around with a kid about that once uh, who just like got on a team speak for the zeitgeist movement and, and just wouldn't shut up about it. And um, I, I guess though, it, it for me, it kind of keeps coming back to the way this is relevant to an RVE. Why would we use something uh, that's on that level uh, in any kind of critical system in the first place? The whole point of automation is to get rid of mistakes and to get rid of anomalies. I think that honestly, we wouldn't need more than the kind of AI, you know, that you guys were talking about that has pre-programmed responses. All we need is machines that will, you know, operate things that anybody could operate, especially when they're doing menial, you know, menial tasks. The brain of a robot that does something like sorting things does not need to be complicated in the slightest. You know, it, it doesn't need to be in any fashion something that would, you know, we'd later be having discussions with philosophically. It's not to say that I don't have, you know, a place in my heart for that. I've always been interested in robots and, you know, characters like Commander Data and Star Trek and all of that. And I, I do recall very directly, actually, just watching an episode not long ago uh, of Star Trek where he develops his daughter um, and Starfleet starts treating it like it's a machine and, you know, thinks that they're just going to take his daughter from him. And, you know, and that's and it makes you ask questions. You know, well, what is an, a sentient being? What what are we as human beings? You know, when you're an atheist, you kind of look at yourself as a as a kind of a chemical computer. Uh, well, you know, I have uh, hardwired information. I have, you know, uh, you know, read access memory. I have, you know, read only memory, just like a computer if you really look at it. You know, I've got uh, all the same basic functions aside from the fact that I'm nowhere near as efficient, probably anywhere nowhere near as fast. You know, and and I kind of basically agreed with Picard's position on it in that episode was to say um, this is a sentient being and it has rights like anything else. But in regards to because this is how it always gets brought up, it gets brought up in the you know we're going to install AIs into the, the the facets and the nervous system of our of our very you know existence, our society itself will all be controlled by AIs that could have the potential to go rogue on their own and take over. Haven't you ever seen Terminator or The Matrix? And that all kind of goes to the point that I was saying earlier. We don't need AIs on that level to do the kinds of tasks that we're going to be automating anyway. Um, you, don't, you don't need AIs at all at that point. And I think that is something that has been um, very much... Uh, you know, promoted in the in the Zagheist movement, especially due to the the nature of the way it's worded and expressed in the the Zagheist movies. Um, there's really no reason to even have artificial intelligence involved in any of that. All you need at that point is simple uh, programs. You know that that are set to you know perform simple tasks. You know, much like your alarm clock or you know your your stove that beeps when it's been 30 minutes. You know, there's no there's no reason to have uh, AI in those systems, and uh, unfortunately, well, actually, the, there could that's be. the way it's promoted. There could be very good reasons to actually have those types of things in it. Part of the one of the episodes uh, of the Next Generation where Data found uh, figured out that there was a couple of mining robots that refused to go down a certain well to fix something because they were concerned that there was some sort of explosion that was going to happen. And it did, and it came back out. It refused to go in. And because it knew, it had the cognitive, like, um, what would you call it, uh, sensors to be able to figure out all these different parameters that were going on around it, 
it figured out that it was in a life or death situation and it got itself out of that life or death situation and refused sure. to go back into sure, but it. And these like were that. just the type of mining robot that, that we've been talking about all along that needs these sorts of levels of things because what if a rock falls on it and breaks part of it? It needs the cognitive ability to be like, oh, right. I've got something if wrong. I, I need I can... to go send a signal to my other robots to come and help me. If I can respond to that, uh, no, something like that wouldn't require any complicated AI. You can equip um, a, a fairly simple robot with sensors that can monitor its environment. It can keep track of um, air pressure around it. It can, it can do any number of things. It can it can keep track of any kind of gas leaks, uh, you know, gas leaks going on. And then whenever it senses that something is dangerous and you can program you can program criteria of you know what would be considered dangerous in the same way that you educate a person on uh, the signs of uh, of hazards in whatever environment and whenever it detects one of those then it can either signal out or uh, or exit the environment and, uh, but even that doesn't require a complicated ai it just requires well, a computer with sensors that's capable of determining um what conditions in the environment correlate to what uh, what potential hazards? Let me let me add something to that. Um, is like you know because once again I, I pull from my my fiction writing background. I understand completely where you're coming from and that the robot was reacting to try to protect people. Um, but anything that we're going to make that's that sophisticated, I can see the benefits of the AI in that circumstance. But then it could also be equipped with the ability to explain itself. You know, oh well, I didn't go down there because it was going to cause this problem. But if you do that in an episode of Star Trek, then, you know, the episode is over in two minutes. And you go four. down there, the robot says, hey, I'm not going down there because it's going to blow stuff up. Well, game over. You know, the, the episode is over in the first two minutes. Didn't even need to do anything. And that's then I can see it already in my head, you know, exactly what the writer would be thinking. Well, I need to have this this thing to figure out so that, you know, the, the, the people reading or listening – you know, can uh, kind of go through in their minds, gee, I wonder what's going on with these robots. You know, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's just the most simple answer would be that the robot would have notified everybody, hey, there's this problem. We can't go down here and continue doing what you're asking us to do because we're going to kill everybody. And then, of course, like you said, the episode would be awfully short if the human said, oh, crap, that's right. Well, let's go ahead and re-engineer this and rethink that and try to vent the shaft and everything else so that we don't damage the mine or hurt anything else or, you know, ruin the resource that we have. Nope, that would make for a five-minute episode. So we have to do an hour, so we have to have the asshole human who doesn't care about the robot who wants to just go after that thing at all costs and doesn't consider it to have any relevance or intelligence at all. That way we can stretch this out and have a big philosophical debate for 42 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Hollywood. Whoa. That's not real life. Right. Yeah. Well, well to things. a certain degree, though, because in real life you would always have that asshole who didn't care about the robot, who just wanted to get the job done, I mean, just look at we have we, have we have assholes who treat human beings that way. I mean, in this so world or RBE, it sounds like a profit motive. Well, see, the the, the RBE though it does it doesn't exist yet, so all things are possible. You can't you can't you can't start the conversation with this premise that it's all brotherly love. You know, uh, no, we're you, starting the no, we're starting the conversation with the premise that we're talking about the RBE. Right. We we are talking about AI in an RBE. Right, That's right. But 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 because the RBE doesn't exist yet, we can't 
we can't we don't have a clear, crystal clear picture of what that world looks like. We all have well, hopes and dreams and aspirations of what we want okay. it to be, but we don't have a crystal clear picture of what it is. Um, yeah, and so the people you can't you but what you're kind of doing is you're putting people of now and their behaviors and their neuroses into a system of the RVE saying, well, what if somebody behaved that way? Why would anyone behave that way? I mean, first of all, if anybody is going to be in charge human of human nature, no. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, just go down that path. Did you? Yeah. You really don't want to uh, wow. explore human nature on this show. <laughs> uh, apparently not. I won't get an honest conversation. <laughs> oh, you will get a very honest conversation. I'll give you a straight up you honest conversation. Like There's absolutely no such thing as human nature. There's only human behavior. We are adaptive cognitive creatures that adjust our motives and our behaviors according to the environment that we're stuck in. If we're all sitting by a river, nobody's going to fight each other over the water because there's a crap load of water. But there might be a shortage of food, so you're probably going to get fights over food in that isolated environment. Now you bring in people from the outside that come in who don't have as much water. Now you're going to start having fighting between that group and this group over the water. Why? Scarcity and not a whole lot of uh, resources available to cover the basic needs of what the people need. It's a survival instinct, but... The survival instinct is highly adaptable and malleable. Just because you behave like a douchebag because of a scarcity of a resource doesn't mean you're also going to still behave like a douchebag when there's a plethora of resources. You adapt and adjust according to what's available. The RBE is about technical abundance. If you have the abundance of everything you need to live biologically and your quality of life is a high standard, you're not going to fight about those kinds of things, and your view of the world and how you behave is going to be drastically different. And it has human nature is the ability to adapt and change one's behavior. That's what human nature is. Let me uh, add it's something to that. that point out that sort of Go ahead. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I will shut up after I'm done. I promise. Um, it, it's important to note that the, the majority of abuses of technology that you get, that you see in mankind, almost all are linked directly to the profit motive or to the survival instinct. Um, one are in one linked to the other. And the reason I say the survival instinct is that you know sometimes mankind develops weapons, but even then, it's usually to protect one's property and one's wealth, even if it's the wealth of a nation. Or anything else. In the scenario, like, for example, the first thought that comes into my head about the guy who doesn't care about the robot but wants the work done is probably someone who has to make a quota because the corporation is jumping all over him because they don't have whatever that robot's supposed to be doing. Um, you're in an in a RBE environment, people are going to be interested in why this robot was not working, um, but they're not going to be, you know, angry about it. They're not going to allow themselves to get emotional about it. You know, those are the aspects of human nature that just would not come up. Because okay. Of the fact that how about this? How about this scenario? Okay, RBE. Can I you've actually got, hang on? Can I got, something making... real quick? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, it's real fast. <laughs> Just the, the point that I wanted to add in to where Doug was already going with this is that in the future, were we to be in this situation, there would be all this technology and all this abundance, and that would mean we'd be in a totally post-scarcity situation. In prior scarcity situations, women even became a resource to the men that could fight for it for them. And and that sort of thing, that that sort of um, mentality is sadly still a part of our current conditioning. 
in the future when we don't have to worry about scarcity and have to worry about when the next child is born, how do we feed it? That the, the, the current concerns of, of that sort of mentality um, could change to a very non-monogamous type of scenario because people yeah. don't mind having a large amount of children or whatever because we figure out that, oh, wow, we can support like 50 billion people on the planet, not just seven. Okay, but my, 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 my scenario is this. Okay, so let's say you have X amount of food to feed Y amount of people, but you've discovered that you're about to have a uh, population explosion. Like everybody decided to have a baby on the same day, and now you're going to have Y plus, you know, uh, Y plus 50,000 starting in nine months, right? And so you need to build yourself some new hydroponics labs, but you don't have enough mineral resources to build these hydroponics labs. So you need those resources, okay? And so you need to go and send these robots in to get those resources ASAP. And if they're down for even, you know, an hour, people are going to start going hungry. So, uh, you know, the robots refuse to go down the mine shaft and, uh, and you're like, well, if we don't send these robots down the mine shaft, uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to have people who are going to be, you know, starving come winter. And so then at that point, you have to make a decision of whether you're going to send that robot down, whether it wants to or not, or let your people starve. I mean, okay. situations well, can happen. You can't. Let me start with let me start with root causes. The root cause is everybody decided to have a baby on the same day for some reason. That's well, again, the, the idea that oh, monogamy. Oh, uh, yes, that's right. Everybody's is perfect. Expand. I forgot. No, 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 they wouldn't do that. I'm asking you for you know. I'm just saying, why would that happen? Because. You, you, you prevent those kinds of things in the first place through intelligent, you know, conversations about population. I, I can go even more fundamental than that. I can go even more fundamental than that. Any engineer, let me put it this way. The person who designed the aquaponics system to only feed 100% of the existing population is a moron. <laughs> All right? Any engineer who designs any technical system will fit 100% plus surplus, 15%, 20%, whatever the projected demographic reasonability would be. In other words, you don't create 100% of the food that you need for 100% of the people. You create 128% of the food that you need for 100% of the people. That way you always have an overage. You always have a percent of, 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 of uh, leeway in there. God, I can't remember the technical term because my brain just left me. No, it's not redundancy because that's backup systems to cover when some things fail. I'm talking about surplus and excess on purpose factored into the system just as a contingency just in case you do have a spike for some whatever reason. It does, you know what? It doesn't matter what the reason is. We discover life on another planet or we discover another world that we can reasonably get to and everybody says, all right. We're going to have a party. And the next thing you know, you got a population boom. It doesn't matter what the reason is. I, I – as, as unlikely as that is, any engineer who designs a technical system and not factor in a percent overage is an idiot. 
you always do redundancies and you always do overages and everything. We do it. We did it on the space shuttle for virtually every system had an overage or a redundancy package built into it so that if some off-the-wall anomaly, it's called a single-fault anomaly, an SFA, if an SFA ever occurred, that was automatically covered to the best of the ability that people would be able to project what the SFA would be. And that's where the scientific method for social concern comes in. The systems that you develop to provide energy, water, food, all the biological needs, etc., all of that is automatically covered by a natural adaptation of overage cause so that any SFAs that occur will automatically be covered at least long enough so that you would have a five-year window to build new systems or to do what you need to do without the pressure and, to, and the rush to behave barbarically. Yeah, but Mr. Millet, weren't, weren't you earlier just saying people are idiots? In uh, today's system who are driving cars like morons, yes. But if they're relevantly educated, they and, and I also know, keep in mind that in the RBE system, education is free and it's completely different than it is today. It is not this industrialized linear model that's trying to turn you into a cog to fit into the money-making wheel. It, yeah, it would have to be based off of the trivium and the quadrivium as well as uh, the basic of scientific method and the idea of we need to figure out a concise method of divining the truth. And the, the trivium is part of that. I've got an example uh, to add into this. Um, Doug's example is NASA-related. And when we're talking about NASA, we're talking about millions of dollars in going into each project. So you want to be sure that that project is going to go off without any hitches. So, yes, of course, in that situation, you're going to overproduce and, and, and have all kinds of backups, backup plans for black backup plans. But we have it even today in our monetary system. When you go into any retail store uh, chain, you'll notice that they have – stacks and stacks of any given item for people to buy, even though in most cases, in a given time frame uh, between orders, um, people only buy maybe half or 10% of what they actually have on stock, but they keep as much on stock just in case they have a run on any given product. And if I can add something, I mean, the, the analogy that you laid out, uh, isn't all that different than than another one that somebody laid out for me uh, some time ago. Uh, somebody told me, okay, you have one of these circular cities, and all of the food, water, and provisions for the uh, that was uh, bound for this city was all loaded onto this uh, same train, and an accident happens, and the train doesn't make it. And I stopped the guy right there, and I said, hold on a second. What screwed-in-the-head moron would put all of the provisions for one city on one damn train. I mean, in order to make that analogy work, you have to, uh, you almost have to throw away common sense. Well, that's right. actually, well, it's it's a common problem that we have when we discuss these sorts of things. And I and I don't want I don't I don't know which caller it was that that was saying that, but you know, when you say about whether or not you're going to have an honest debate about something. An honest debate has to start with um, analogies or circumstances or scenarios that are presented from a logically sound basis. It isn't to say that we don't want to answer questions or hard questions 
it's that when you develop when you devise something that you're testing the theory against it can't be something that's that's not well founded in of itself because you're going to ask us how we're going to analyze it because that's how we do things the scientific method and in order to understand whatever problems it is that you're posing to us they themselves have to make logical sense people don't just spontaneously decide to have babies on the same on the same day what is the reasoning behind it what kind of prevention goes into that ahead of time you know we we've run into conversations like this frequently when discussing anything whether it's politics or whatever you know where someone will you know will want to pose a you know a question they'll want to be skeptical and we encourage that that's part of the scientific decision making process but you have to pose questions to us that make logical sense in their foundation before i can give you a logical answer well the 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 concept that you know uh the, the ill will of man is completely based off of our current living situation and that you know uh <laughs> that uh everybody will want to vo uh, willingly volunteer their their uh existence in time uh towards the betterment of society is an, is unfounded there's there's no there's no uh, scientific what? foundation for that I'm what, sorry. Like the, to, what? Like to come on, be radio, and debate that at some point, since it's not relevant. I, I, to this I, yeah, yeah, I'd love to, but I'm just saying, if you're already in make believe land, you know, you I don't know. have. There's, there's hundreds of scientific studies that could prove you wrong in about two seconds. Well, I, yeah, I, we're I'd not love in, to get copies of them. When we're okay. discussing a resource-based economy, we're not. And see the peer reviews in, on in that. Land. We, there are, there are scientific studies upon scientific studies from behavioral sciences to physical sciences to applied sciences to energy to production everything it all tends to support the resource-based economy as we present it and it's something also that's very important to realize on this at no time in human history has mankind ever had the technical capability to use the earth's resources in a way that every man, woman, and child can be adequately covered to a high standard of living. That is without subjugating other humans to do the work for them. So that has always been the biggest crux of mankind since the dawn of time. In order to get A from B, you have to subjugate person C to serve somebody else. And we are now to a point with robotics, automation, clean energy systems, and the relevant knowledge that we have of all the sciences combined to where we actually now can do this on a global scale thanks to global communication, global uh, interconnections, and the ability to transport almost anything anywhere. However, with that said, virtually everything would be local production, local distribution, no more of this nonsense of traveling merchandise halfway around the planet just to go from one site to another um so it's you, you you come from the point of view of this is ridiculous it's never been done before and to a point i say yeah you're right it never has been done before because mankind has never in the course of its history ever had the technical capability to do it but if you look at all the pieces and you look at the relevant sociological scientific studies on how human beings operate where the point that we're coming from with the RBE is absolutely valid if you look at the entire picture. But if you want to start parsing little bits of it to validate certain arguments, sure, I'm sure you could come up with a whole lot of them, but you're not looking at the whole picture or all the relevant technologies that are involved.
and a lot of people do that. Well, let, I, me, uh, let me make I, one more comment. I got to clarify, though. I'm not saying it's ridiculous. Okay. okay. I, I think that it's a wonderful idea, and I think it's towards working for, and I agree with almost everything you say except for the fact that it's ridiculous. Um, I think that we need to consider these things, and because of, of the fact that we haven't actually had a proper test case uh, in which RBE has been able to operate. So we can't say for sure because I it would hasn't actually been disagree tested. With that. I would disagree with that. I idea that they're precisely, uh, Michael Reynolds is the perfect example of what he has accomplished not only out in the desert, but also in Haiti and other places around the world. Those guys created an actual resource-based economy, just as those people that you were just talking about on your own show. Um, the, the city, and there's no the war and violence in Haiti. <laughs> uh, there's something I, w I would like to add, if I may, and this is something that Douglas might agree with me. The question is this. Uh, how many rockets did we shoot into space before we realized we could shoot rockets into space? Um, let's see. We had to start with one. <laughs> And once we figured that one out, we pretty much had it, didn't we? Yeah, well, there were quite a few that blew up on the launch pad and didn't go so well because it was a learning process as it went. The thing sure. that's interesting about the RBE is that every single technical system that we propose to use already exists and is proven in its own accord. Sure. Now, let me – the point uh, – if I can finish the thought. Sure, uh, go ahead. The point is that we, we tested uh, the plausibility of shooting a rocket into space – uh, in parts, we tested the components. We saw how plausible it was. And when we realized that it was very plausible, we put a rocket together and we shot it into space and proving that it could be done. Uh, the RBE is very similar. We are testing it in components. We're seeing it in small scale. We're testing the plausibility. Can it be done? And we are proposing that it's highly plausible. And so As a matter it, of fact, the Chinese believe in it so much right now that they are trying to get established in America specific uh, free trade zones where they can set up in either Idaho or Pennsylvania an actual Venus Project type city where their workers come from China and can then directly market right to our local malls. One of them, Idaho, the one in Bo that's going to be just south of Boise, Idaho. How far away is that from the Mall of America? They'll be able to ship this stuff out, and they'll be in their own self-contained environment, a whole city that's going to be completely automated and set up just like Doug's talking about with all these hydroponic and aquaponic systems in order to be able to feed everyone, and everyone won't need anything, but they'll still – I don't know what kind of setup they'll actually have on the inside. Maybe they'll have some sort of credit system. I, I don't know for, for the workers inside, but – everything would probably be free for them because they're trying to create a Venus project there. They believe in these systems so much that they want to build it here. Let me, um, let me make one more point to kind of nail this home because we're, we're way off topic and the people in the chat room are responding accordingly. Um, I actually had this conversation once with somebody who was talking about utopias and fantasy land and all that other jazz. Um, it is a fantasy to believe that we can continue to produce irrespective of the resources on the planet and expect to survive as a species. That's fantasy. Okay. It, it is um, a fiction essentially that we can continue to be a consumerist society 
that consumes resources irrespective of the global implications of that and continue. It, it is irrational to think that we cannot um, go beyond, you know, where we are now to the point, I mean, I mean, it is rational if you want to destroy yourself, but it is not sustainable. And when you look at the, the comparison, which is that regardless of what methodology we use as far as the actual technologies and their application, one way or the other, as Peter always says, we're going to end up in a resource-based economy because nothing else is sustainable. It's not to say that, you know, to try to claim that we're arrogant or, you know, like, you know, we just we're dogmatic or any of that other nonsense. You look at it with your own brain and your brain will tell you if there are only so many of this and so many of that, then we need to intelligently manage the resources. You know, you, you don't when you go up in the space shuttle, you don't have a capitalist system. You have a resource based economy, you know, um, and that's that's the reason why. You know, I say to people who, who propose the idea that it's fantasy land, when human beings are forced into a given situation one way or another, their behavior will change. People used to say it was fantasy land that people would willingly give up racism, but uh, by and large, they have. You know, people said it was <laughs> fantasy land that women would ever be able to vote, but now women vote. You know, social changes happen, and they don't happen because we just all sit around saying to ourselves, well, it's fantasy. That'll never happen. You know, if you told Martin Luther King that, he'd have chuckled and kept on marching. And if he hadn't, we would still have racism, or at least a greater degree to agree of it. But we do need to get back to AI. Yeah, uh, but just just to uh, chime in on that one, it, it's, what, less than 20 years ago, we were saying, oh, no, we'll never have a woman for president or even running for president, and, and we'll never have a black president. <sighs> Shudder at the thought. <laughs> well, that's those are all social issues, and he's bringing up that he feels that you know he felt that it was fantasy that people will ever willingly give up their capitalist system. The capitalist system. No, that's is not crash. what I said at all. That's not no, what that's I said not what at he all. Said. What okay, he said. No. what did you say? I said I said you do not have any evidence to suggest what uh, you know human behavior will be like in a community of seven billion people. Uh, it, existing in RBE because it hasn't been tested. It hasn't even been tested on 50,000 people. You have no idea what 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 kind of, uh, you know, human emotions uh, and thoughts and responses people will be having in that situation. You have no idea. Okay, and we, and we and gave I, you examples that, are, that prove that that's not the case. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a highlight of is a, is a perm, the permaculture uh, – people that live off the grid, build their own huts, do their own farming. Now, they don't have the highest standard of living, okay, but they get along well, they work well together, they have their own little internal ecosystem, and they don't need to use any money to farm for each other or help each other out or do any kind of gifting back and forth or whatever is necessary. Their standard of living isn't very high. They're still kind of digging in the dirt, reverting back to old school methods of doing things, but that is a resource-based economic model in a microset. Now, what we're talking about is using advanced technology to have a really high standard of living and still coexisting in that manner. Humans have already done that. The hunter-gatherers did it. There are plenty of historical references that show how humans can get along and collaboratively work together in their own microcosm. Now, when you start introducing external influences from other regions that are violent that want to take somebody over, of course, that changes everything. But if you look at that microcosm, they got along just fine. 
We're just expanding that to a larger picture, but we're using high tech to do it. Right. Uh, gift economies, for instance, exist in every corner of the planet currently and have existed for thousands of years and still exist in the condition in the same kinds of conditions that they existed in thousands of years ago. Granted, they don't have the high level of technology and all of the other things that we have. They, we don't, they don't have all of the great comforts, but you do see the behavior, and that's the important part. You take that behavior, you move it into this kind of uh, technology, and you end up with a resource-based economy. Well, Burning that's Man the is also something that we have. Very, Burning Man is also Sorry. something that's very much like the same concept in, in in those lines. As a matter of fact, I even did once a comparison on like the uh, ten basic principles and ideals that Burning Man goes by, and I went and looked at all the different things that like the Venus Project has to offer, and everything's a complete exact um, copy. The only thing is, except for one. Uh, one of them is leave no trace because when they're out in the desert, they don't want to leave a mess when they're done. They want to be able to come back to it next year and have it be an empty space again. So they trade that for sustainability. And you could then literally create a permanent culture with those types of people, with those types of people that have that kind of mentality. I mean, the Burning Man community literally gives away the most amount of arts out of anyone else in America, like one organization. So they that that shows how much of this this volunteerism still exists. I understand it's not perfect, and then sadly, all too much of the camping equipment is bought at Walmart before they get there. But once they get there for that week, they live in a resource-based economy. All right. Well, again, um, <laughs> let's talk about AI. Yeah, as a matter of fact, let's um since we've gone through that section and since we've gone through some of the AI scare, let's go ahead and move into the the whole reason that we started this show. It was something that Tenoro had brought up. He was talking about the movie uh what was that movie? <laughs> it was the movie Wally. Wally. Yes. He was talking <laughs> about that movie and how Everyone was being taken care of by computers and machines and all of this other stuff. And so everyone became fat and lazy. Will we really become that fat and lazy in a resource-based economy if the AIs don't kill us first? And my response to that is, is that it's a load of crap. Uh, what you're pointing at is a very, very, very different environment. Um, hang on one second. Oh, um, let me go ahead. Uh, okay, unless you're done. Go ahead. No, no I just had to call off. A, uh, had to mute my mic for a second. But anyway, um, I've had more than a few people to point to the movie Wally and say, is that what people would be like if we were to automate everything? They would, be, uh, you know, they would just kind of all get some kind of hover chair and they would become fat and lazy. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, um, perhaps if you stick a large enough population of people on a small enough Static environment, uh, you, you know, you keep them there all of their life, and the environment becomes um, overwhelmingly understimulating. Uh, then over time, they might turn into something like that. 
but to say that we could eventually turn the earth <coughs> to say that we could turn the earth into something like that uh, I think is absurd. Well, uh, Doug Doug is N- uh, NASA aerospace engineer. He's familiar with the kinds of things you have to prepare for uh, with space travel. Doug, have you uh, and Doug has children. Doug, have you and or your children seen that movie, Wally? Oh yes, absolutely. I, first of all, I apologize for the cough. I thought I had my microphone muted. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, um, yes, I'm quite familiar with Wally. And once again, we go to that you know fun Hollywood bit. So let's look at Wally for a second and really analyze the technology. We're going to take a moment. First of all, they had hover chairs. Wow, is that a bad idea? If you ever wanted a population to get fat, make sure that they are mobile but immobile at the exact same time, <laughs> that they can get wherever they need to go without using a muscle. Um, that is blatantly stupid. Um, so why in the world would that spacecraft do that? Well, they're going to do that for the sake of the story, right? I mean, what happens at the end? The fat guy gets off his chair. He crawls over, and he saves the day by knocking out the robot or whatever the hell it was that he did, right? That's good drama. That's like, oh, he's overcoming the odds. Classic drama, overcoming the odds to beat the bad guy, right? If, you, if they were all athletic because society valued human health, valued athletics, valued exercise, valued personal well-being, valued being proactive in going and, and – running up hills or doing some kind of uh, activities on a regular basis as a culture. If everybody was that athletic, then you wouldn't have the fat guy getting off the chair. It makes for a very crappy story. Going back to Neil's, uh, uh, why are stories written in a certain way? Well, if it was the way it should be and would be in the RBE, then you wouldn't have much of a story. So in the RBE, now, of course, I know what somebody's going to say. Some naysayers going to say, oh, so you're going to order everybody to be athletic. Um, no, not really. Uh, it's going to be built into the average, everyday runnings of society. I mean, you could have these automated cars. But see, if you're taught to value yourself and your health and the education that you receive is about eating right, is about exercising properly, is about being physically fit and mentally fit, if that is what is constantly drummed throughout society, then guess what? Everybody's just going to do it anyway because that's the way society is set up, is to be healthy and humane and cooperative. Duh. And uh, if, I can, <laughs> if I can add something to that, uh, that, that's why I pointed out that the environment in which people were living in the movie uh, is – it's small, it's static, and it's understimulating if you spend enough time there. If you put people in a in in a more stimulating environment, um, then they just can't become bored enough to to turn into that. Now let me um, also really me funny also... about the there's also the idea that um in Wally of even just simple touch and being a part of communication and like that was a really beautiful human moment to be given to these simple robots, quote unquote. And I find it fascinating that it's like, uh, these are the values that we need to program into any sort of living artificial intelligence because heaven forbid they don't have 
a core set of values that's programmed into them so that they understand to do no harm. And it is better to go and help your fellow men because uh, you can get a lot of great benefits from going out and doing good things for your for, for your fellow man. I mean, there, there, there are intrinsic values to that sort of volunteerism. And I'm not saying create a race of slaves, but show them the logic within those values and that and, and program that logic and value system within them. Let me um, add another thing here about the, the cause of laziness, okay? Um, for example, uh, throughout my life, you know, I've gone through periods of working and not working. The funny thing is I got better exercise and still do uh, now that I work from home. And the, the concept that is laziness is essentially, you know, when you get home from work, you're not interested in doing more work. You're not interested in exercise. And most work is not exercise on a level that will help to keep you healthy. Yep. Um, you know, when I get home from work, you know, I want to do more cardio, but there's no way I was going to be in the mood for it, especially not if I live a stressful lifestyle. Um, and the funny thing is actually the majority of a, an awful lot of obesity is attributed to high cortisol levels, which are caused by stress. Um, and work environments are almost always inherently stressful. So there's a lot of health issues with that. Uh, and the funny thing that comes to mind for me when I think of an RBE in an automated society is where I'm going to go. I want to travel. I want to go do stuff. I'm not, you know, I, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm going to jump on a maglev train and go back to Ireland so I can climb those mountains that I didn't get to climb when I was in Killarney National Park, you know, that's the kind of stuff that comes to my head. And, yeah, maybe there will be some couch potatoes, but of the reason why people end up in those situations, like the reason I spend so much time on my computer is not because I don't like going out and not because I don't like doing stuff, but because all of my friends live really far away, and I can't feasibly get out and go see them. You know, and that's that's what the majority of my uh, my video game playing and all the things that are involved with me not moving around a lot is centered around. Um, laziness is a reaction, a selfish reaction, essentially, to a scarcity of free time. If you don't have it, then the moment you get home, you want to make sure that you have a whole bunch of time where you're not expected to do anything, you know, so that just for a little while you can feel like you're in control of your, of your, of your life. That's where the majority of the stress comes from, but being at work. The whole time you've got this oppressive feeling in your head of, you know, at any moment right now, this guy over here could threaten to fire me you know, he's in control of me. Even if you like your boss, you, you think about these pressures. Um, and when you get home, you just, you just don't want to do it. You know, especially if you've had a long, stressful day, you want to unwind. Well, what does unwind mean? Unwind means sit in front of the television and eat. You know, uh, that's why I'd say that the, the majority of what uh, the behavior that we coin as laziness comes from, it all comes back to the idea that, well, I better sit down now because I don't know when I'm going to be able to sit down again. I remember one time I was working two jobs, and I, I chuckled because I was living with my mom at the time, um, and I said, you know, when you work two jobs, you learn the, uh, the luxury of being able to go to the bathroom, you know, because I got to actually sit down and do my business without anybody, you know, bothering me every three seconds. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, you know, it, it's funny you, you mentioned that it, uh, in an RBE, you would, you would get up and you would travel. Uh, I probably would, too. And when I wrote a blog uh, not long ago addressing this Wally argument, you know, the fat and lazy argument, um, I, I illustrated that if you want to see a small, static, 
understimulating environment, uh, look around. Look around right now. You don't have to look in the movie Wally. You can, you can. I mean, I'm sitting here in a small, crappy apartment. I have to, I have to go to work tomorrow. I cannot afford to go somewhere if I want to. Uh, I mean, this is the kind of environment that breeds something closer to what you see in, in the movie Wally. As a matter of fact, my mother, um, um, my mother has one of those little electric chairs. You, you know, the little electric scooties. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm seeing that and I'm thinking, wow, that's, uh, that's a lot like Wally. Um, you're just, you're just not going to see that in a, in an RBE because those limitations will no longer exist. You're going to see people more exhilarated. They'll have more time on their hands. They're going to want to go do things. I ask people sometimes, you know, when they bring this up, I said, okay, you're a billionaire right now in today's world, whatever. Are you going to sit around on your butt and do nothing all day long? <laughs> and invariably, nine times out of ten, no way, man, I'm going to go skiing in the Alps, or I'm going to go visit all these countries that I think are really cool. I'm going to, uh, And I'm like, okay, thank you very much. Welcome to the RBE. Everybody is a billionaire. You can go do whatever it is that you're interested in doing. And you can telecommute and telework and everything like that. So, you know, if you're an engineer or a scientist or a musician or whatever it is, a culinary artist, whatever it is that you – find to be your personal passion while living in the RBE, you can still do that. You're not necessarily tied down to a particular location. Some people might be for various logistic reasons, but guess what? In the RBE, the way the system is set up with as much automation is involved, you don't have to work eight hours a day, five days a week. You could probably do two or three hours a day as a team as an on-call, almost like a doctor in a way, an on-call technician or an on-call engineer. Now, here's the other funny thing. When people are passionate about what they're doing, they can blow 12 to 15 hours doing it and not even realize that they forgot to take a lunch. So that's something else that people need to think about when, when living in the RBE are the core motivations that are involved. And you're living in an environment that encourages you to get the hell out of the house and go do something. You want to go visit France? Go visit France. You want to take a look at the pyramids? Go look at the pyramids. <laughs> Financially today, good luck doing any of that crap. Most people have to budget being able to go to the grocery store down the street and have enough gas to do that, much less being able to literally globetrot on a moment's notice without any financial recourse. <laughs> I was I was laughing just then because I, I was when you uh, talked about going to France, I was reminded of something that Stormcloud's Gathering asked Neil uh, some time ago on his show when uh, when Stormcloud's Gathering says, "What if I like French wine?" and and Neil's response was brilliant. He said, "Then go to the France and drink the wine." <laughs> so I, I got a, I got a question. If if these maglev trains are so cheap and efficient. Then how come there nobody builds them? Ah, they're they not do. Cheap. Well, no, no. So here's the, there's the misconception. They're actually they're not cheap in today's system because of the market and how it manipulates precious resources like the metals that are involved and everything like that to do it. So they're not cheap. They are efficient. We do have the resources to do them, but they are also artificially inflated to the point to where it's quote unquote expensive to put them in. So. It's almost cheaper to sink $20 billion in Boeing making a couple of extra seven, their new 787s or whatever, than it is to build an intricate maglev train system 
because nobody cares about the longevity of the system over all the costs. It costs you a trillion dollars to do it or something to that effect. And people are like, oh, my God, that's a crap load of money. Oh, okay, but do we have the resources to do it? Well, yeah. Do we have the technical knowledge and the capability to do it? Yes. Can we work with civil engineers to make a route or to develop a, a, a spider web, a network of these systems to where it would be highly efficient and advantageous for the vast majority of the people, at least as main transit lines? Yes. Okay, so the only thing that's really stopping is, uh, is that it costs too damn much? Well, yeah. Well, then that's a fucking stupid argument. Next. Well, let's not forget also that um, any kind of uh, an invention of that nature uh, would put out of business so many other high-end, profitable businesses involved with things like, you know, the the corporations that own airlines, you know, would would lose oodles of money, even though they're already starting to, uh, you know, buses, you know, trains, uh, the the regular trains, uh, so many other uh, vested interests involved. Especially, this is this is the big killer. Okay, let me give you an example. You watch who killed the electric car. When they wanted to make cars the new means of transportation, they went out and bought all the trolley systems out. The trolley systems were not dangerous. There's no reason that trolleys could not have continued to be working, and in some cities they still are. Um, there's no reason why you know it wouldn't have interfered with your ability to drive a motor vehicle, but it would have interfered with people's desire to have them. So the auto industry purchased all the trolley systems and then shut them down and scrapped them because yeah. anything like that is a huge threat to their to their control over transportation. And maglev trains don't use fossil fuels. Hmm. Right. Okay. Um, you're talking you're talking about a transportation technology that could run on clean energy systems that would obliterate the oil industry, considering how much revenue from oil is made from fueling heavy load systems and cars. You're talking about drastically reducing the amount of cars that need to be made because the the ability to travel at, well, two or 300 miles an hour on a local train system up to 1,000 miles an hour if you put it in even a half vacuum system. It doesn't even have to be a hard vacuum, but if you did a half vacuum tube, you'd be able to go about 1,000 miles an hour anywhere you wanted. You can go L.A. to New York in an hour or so, a couple of hours. So, uh, assuming you accelerated a reasonable G-force, you're not exactly going to be bolting off the line like a drag car. But th- the point is that implementing a massive transportation system that is that efficient, that clean, and runs on solar and wind power systems, think about it. What if you put wind vanes on the train itself? So as the train was going down, all these little windmills would be spinning like a banshee, generating all the power that it needs to run itself. So in a vacuum. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking, uh, talking about the 200 mile an hour ones. I'm not talking about the vacuum tube ones. Vacuum tube but would, would completely solar. Wouldn't that add resistance, which would increase the energy use of the train? Not if you factored it into the skin of the system. Uh huh. So basically, know, what you're saying, your answer is it's a conspiracy. No, not at all. I don't believe it. No, well, no, I mean, well, there's a conspiracy. It's. it's, it's <laughs> It's not like it's not known that the auto industry purchased the trolleys and scrapped them. Is that does that mean I'm a conspiracy nut if I believe that? Well, as a matter of fact, no, there are no, a bunch I never of said the word nut. Excuse I just me. said conspiracy. Excuse me. Excuse <laughs> okay. me. There's a okay. few conspiracy theorists out there who believe that literally our skies are being poisoned by people by the chemtrails in the air. Now, even if that is not true. 
there's still a lot of poison in the air being dumped and polluted into the air just by normal jet engines. So anyone that's worried about air pollution and anyone that's worried about chemtrails I've talked to have actually been like, oh, wow, that's awesome. You could actually get every plane out of the air, couldn't you, uh, inside of a generation by making these things. And I was just like, yeah. And one of the, the best ones out there, her name's Roxy Lopez. Hey, She's really on the chem... She's really on the chemtrail gig, and in doing so, she discovered these maglevs within the, the zeitgeist movement, and now she's kind of on board, and she's like, yeah, the, yay, the zeitgeist movement, because they want all these planes grounded. King, I think you and that's, I are the only yeah, ones on the line a, right now. <laughs> uh, well, what I would, uh, you know, the thing is with the, the maglev trains is, is now I don't think it would cost trillions of dollars to do it on a small scale. Like the the the, the first, you know, railroad in America was not built from Boston to uh, San Francisco. You know, it, it went from, uh, you know, it went from uh, New York to to Boston. You know, which is a relatively short distance. When you think about it, um, you know, so you could build this maglev uh, train to, say, go from, you know, um, I don't know, say, yeah, why not? Make it go from New York to Boston. Or if there's, there's not enough area land there, build it out in California. Go from, you know, L.A. to San Francisco, and you can get from, you know, San Francisco to L.A. in half an hour. And, uh, you know, and it wouldn't cost you trillions of dollars. It would maybe cost you, you know, maybe a billion dollars, but that's not unreasonable for that sort of, uh, you know, business infrastructure that you're going to build. I mean, we build trains that cost a billion dollars every single day, um, you know. Well, there's uh, the Heathrow Airport, the Ulta. The, they've got this Ulta system that, that's really um, like a... a, a like a little car carrier that that just is designed to be like almost like a mini type of train system of sorts that goes into uh neighborhood nearby neighborhoods and so on and so forth and it's um uh it was in once again Doug Millet's uh movie uh the our, our technical reality it's it's described quite detailed in in that film so it's yeah. not like these things aren't being put in, and it's a sustainable idea because it's all well. It's 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 something that once it's put in there, you're probably not going to have to like do much to it because they've made it to last, and they also made it with such um, technology as to make it uh, off the grid, like a lot of off the grid type technologies built into it, like solar and so on and so forth, right. into just how the thing is run. But so yeah, if you not, wanted to, you're, you're right that we could do this sort of stuff very easily, and that's the problem. Like we're we're right. stuck with like which, which is why this is why I asked about the conspiracy because it would have to be a conspiracy because you know you can you can you could build this thing and let's say it costs you five billion dollars to build a maglev train from San Francisco down to Los Angeles. And you're going to, you know, charge people 50 bucks a ticket to, you know, be able to get from San Francisco to L.A. in half an hour. Um, you know, you'd make your money back within 10 years. And that's not an unreasonable business model. I mean, there's no there's no reason why you would not get that uh, kind of investment. So either 
you know, the, the technology isn't where people say it is or it's a conspiracy is, is the only remaining options. I understand what you're talking about because there was a guy who revamped the entire San Francisco system of trolleys and stuff like and and so on and they 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 made it so it was only like a dollar per ride free transfers the whole nine yards and then this guy during the 80s after doing that uh somebody said hey come out to philly and do the same thing for us and within a couple hours of him being off of the plane someone put a bullet through his window so he was came out here to fix things and they were like, uh, someone apparently really liked the status quo and scared him off onto the next plane right out of Philly again. And he was just like, I don't care. I'm not helping you guys. Are you kidding? <laughs> so <laughs> right. I, for for someone to say that conspiracies don't exist, I think that is patently ridiculous. And that's a shame. Right. That, like, and, I, and I wasn't trying yeah. to suggest that a conspiracy doesn't exist or that it was nutty to think one existed. I was just asking a legitimate question, so then it's a conspiracy. I I, I would have to I would have to say that it's definitely. I mean, you like you a, know me, I'm corporate. I'm never the one to poo poo on a good conspiracy. <laughs> well, it, corporate cronyism is realistically a conspiracy, you know, just like that sort of. Oh, certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, so any sort of anyone that, like I said, it's it's difficult for me to have that conversation with people when it comes to that sort of thing. I mean, I conspire with my wife about how do we try to make our small business run properly. And, and, you know, it doesn't always, you know, like that, that's a, that's something that's just a part of life. I mean, it also only means to breathe together, which is something that's kind of interesting when you think about Wait, it. Wait, what means to breathe together? Conspire. Essentially, means oh, yeah? like con with together and inspire. Okay, I know that makes sense. To, like, like to res- whisper, to respire. Yeah, get to rest, to, to respirate. Yeah. Okay, like, that, so no, that's, that's interesting. Good, good little uh, trivium there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so like what I'm actually doing. Let me take this opportunity of free time to talk about what I'm doing with artificial intelligence. Because nobody's asked me. Um, so what I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to create an intelligence, artificial intelligence or autonomy um, that's actually able to grasp the concepts of philosophy. Uh, that's that is what I am working on. I want to create something that not only can learn and take in new information and of various different amounts, uh, various different types of information and categorize them and, you know, um, and, and put it away in its, its memory bank, but uh, actually, you know, take that information and create a thought out of it without being prompted. So, like, for example, you were talking about the um, Project Jedi uh, slash droid uh, chatbot, right? And so um, so the chatbot is basically what it is, is it has, a, um, it has a list of items that it understands, and uh, it is able to, like, if you give it a new item or, like, a new word... Um, 
and it's pretty much only nouns at this point. It can't really comprehend verbs, um, but this is all based off the Alice chatbot. So, like, like um, if you look up Alice chatbot, you can actually get the code and download it and create your own chatbot. Um, and I played around with these many, many years ago, and I was unhappy with them um, because they were just dumb and regurgitating, like, information. And so you can sort of teach it new nouns and, you know, and it can kind of relate them to other nouns that it knows, almost like synonyms and antonyms. Um, but, like, it can't really grasp what something is. Um, and so... Uh, what I want to do is I want to create a philosophical, um, you know, bot that will be able to take, you know, the information it has and acquire new information and then be able to go through that information and figure out how the things relate to each other without necessarily, you know, a, a person chatting with it. To, to test its weak weaknesses and boundaries, um, you know, to, to, to see if it's able to relate, you know, instead of asking, do you understand the difference between this and this, to actually go through its memory banks and find, you know, things that are diamet diametrically uh, congruent and opposing and be able to take those things and put them together in order to create a brand new premise um so that's what i'm trying to do um and yes it's a mountainous task <laughs> to say the least that i could probably use another 50 people working on it with me i don't know what do you think kevin is it a bad idea should i stop i don't know i find it, I any sort of ai like this fascinating i think it's the, the idea of creating anything that kind of thinks on its own or can learn on its own, I mean, I, I there, there are times that, like, or there was a conversation I had once where someone was saying they didn't want to be immortal, they're looking forward to dying, and I was just like, okay, that's fine for you and all, but, like, I personally would love to be able to, like, be almost a ghost on the net when my biological form fades out so that I can still talk to people and still uh, influence society if possible with what i know and if right, people but... could get to a point where they could actually download their mind onto the internet and literally be able to live in such a capacity or and and be able to talk to other people it, it's only a short process to a, a a form of immortality to to that extent and i, I find that to be fascinating and right well the thing is with like the... what you're talking about with creating a chat bot or downloading your mind, um, really all you're doing is creating a mimic. You're not actually transferring your consciousness. And the reason for that is there's certain limitations with the uh, artificial intelligence that we're dealing with right now that's hindering us. Number one is that we're working in binary. And because basically you have a computer chip, right, which is a you know, uh, a, a flat computer chip, and it can do, it has switches that are on or off, okay? And it's basically true or false, all right? And that's what we're stuck with. Now, we could create a, a true 2D chip, and while we do have 2D chips now, 
Um, they're not really true 2D chips. Like, they're physically 2D, but they're actually what they are is they're just – think of it more like a big, long snake, right? And so you've got the on-off, and the on turns the next one off or keeps it on or whatever, um, kind of like a string theory almost. Everything's one long strand, and the parts are either there or not. Um, and now in a, in a true uh, 2D chip, what we would have is something uh, which is similar to the transistor, um, you know, where you could either go, you know, you go right or you can go left you know, or forward. So you'd have, you'd come in and then you'd have three possible ways that you could go. You could go left, forward, or right. Um, now, in and then the next level is to go with a 3D chip where you could go forward, left, right, up, or down. So now you've got one, two, three, four, five. You've got five different possible directions that you can send that information. Now, the human brain actually has seven, seven connectors. Uh, each each uh, uh, neuron, um, you know, the positive neuron has seven negative receivers. Uh, you, for each transmitter, you've got seven receivers. And so that, you know, every time you have a spark of thought, um, it can go seven possible different directions and it's not as simple as uh yes or no it's more analog and more um uh natural in fact there's really eight because it could just also fire off into nothingness as well um and so um really there's n no possible way with the technology we have today to create an artificial intelligence that is of the same respect as a human being. Now we can emulate it, and so it, you know, we can trick ourselves into believing that these things are real and thoughtful and having consciousness and intelligence and wisdom. Um, but it, it really is is just it's pseudo. It's it's fake. It's false. Um, so you know. Um, we so really there'll never have, be a need for Butlerian Jihad <laughs> from, uh, uh, I don't know if anyone out there has ever read any of the uh, Dune novels. I, I read them, but it's been a long time. Apparently, there was my a memory. Time, apparently there's a time during humanity's uh, past, since it's like 10,000 years in the future, so like whatever their, their story's past is, there's a, a huge revolution in, in artificial intelligence, like what we're talking about, to the idea of the, like, they actually really had souls. And because of whatever reasons, they went through a process where they got rid of them all because they felt that they were doing things that weren't... I don't know. It, it I, I forget this story myself, but the idea is that they got rid of all of the artificial intelligence. No one, There was a complete ban on it within their society. And I, I, I guess it would probably have to do with that whole Cylon concept, I can only imagine. But, um, hey, everybody's back. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> oh, cool. We made it back. All right. Let's see if we can add Duck back into this now. We were just uh, discussing the current application of artificial intelligence in our existing society. 
and uh, how how the artificial intelligence works and uh, where we're at technologically at this moment. Yeah, speaking of where we're at technologically, uh, and I, I just decided that I'm not going to send a strongly worded email to Magic Jack. I'm now going to get their number and call them on the phone and very loudly bitch them out. But, uh, but uh, we got about 10 minutes um, before the uh, TZM meeting, the state chapter meeting tonight, uh, Frank. So um, I guess we won't have time for the stupid laws. Oh, damn. That's always the fun part. Um, okay. Uh, our guests have agreed that if we, since we're having troubles, um, if we couldn't get them back onto it, we could just go ahead and end the show so that we could uh, go on with our chapter meeting that we have tonight, which immediately follows. I mean, it's at 8 o'clock. Um, so to everyone in the listening audience, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for uh, joining our show and listening to us, and we hope you continue to listen to us despite our bitch sessions with um with you know talk show and skype and uh magic jack and whoever the hell keeps screwing us up um we're going to forego the stupid laws tonight unfortunately but i do want to uh close with this or not really close but i, I do want to make this one statement before we close and that was that um, we started the show talking about artificial intelligence. And as far as artificial intelligence goes, I'd say that we've got a whole shitload of public schools creating something that amounts very much to artificial intelligence in humans. People unable to make decisions for themselves, to think for themselves, they're able to do a job, and that's about it. And that's essentially what artificial intelligence is. So uh, while these people are able to have emotions and thoughts that are incongruous, you know, that, that are not simply strictly rational thoughts, um, for the most part, people are trained to be a machine and work a job and then go home and... Uh, unwind from the job by watching television and let's get a little bit stupider did you just say stupider yes I did <laughs> <laughs> that was an intentional faux pas alright well faux pas away um, yeah stupider is not a real word folks so it, just in case just in case you were wondering just how stupid our society gets, if you thought stupider was a real word, guess where you got that one from? Our famous school system. In any case, I've really enjoyed this show. I'm sure that the robot and AI topic will come up again. I'm sure that we will have plenty of time to discuss what life can really be like under a um, AI-guided system, not an AI-ruled system. And again, I apologize to everybody for the issues, and we'll try to get 
Douglas back for another show sometime soon. Yes. I, and I'm sure I'm sure Doug would, would agree to that, yes. Um, in any case, all three of us that are still on the call right now, Douglas Millett, Chris Tonoro, and I are all on uh, zeitnews.org. Come check us out there, too. Lots and lots of applied science technologies that you can check out. There's all the latest shit that's coming out. And we're looking to add behavioral sciences as well, you know, recent reports for uh, along the lines of behavioral sciences, which is... The, the most recent one is the most amazing with respect to babies and how they uh, can be more prone to being uh, altruistic and helpful to each other given the proper conditions. Shocking, isn't it? Hmm. Shocking. Amazing. Wait, you mean babies? Altruistic, not fighting each other over their newbies? Not fighting each other over their toys or their newbies. <laughs> although I might although I might fight over boobies, but that's for a completely different reason. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um oh and just in case let me you guess. were wondering let me guess, it's scarcity related. Could be. <laughs> just in case you were wondering, folks, the reason they no longer make tin foil is because it actually works at blocking out those Insane rays that they use to control your mind. That's for our conspiracy nuts out there. <laughs> aluminum doesn't work, work quite as well at it, so that's why we have we're stuck with aluminum foil instead of tin. Oh, that's Until, what the tin foil hat thing is all about. I'll, I'll have to look into that. It's pretty funny. Yeah, brain control, mind control rays that the government is using to control your minds and make you think. Stupid shit that and alter the weather, yeah, all that. We'll have to yeah. do a show on conspiracy some sometime. But anyway, we are completely out of time. We are, and join us next week, same bat time, same bat channel, and we'll talk about more shit and more fucked up shit, and maybe even tinfoil. Good night, night everybody. <laughs>